Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Jocelyn Hill. Welcome to another episode of The Weeds. Our mission here on The Weeds is to bring you along on deep dives into important policy discussions. And our whole goal is to get you the information and answers you're looking for. So today, we're trying something new. We're actually asking you, what's a question about policy you have? Recently, Vox put out a call for questions from listeners, and we got a lot of fascinating recommendations from you. But... One felt particularly interesting to me. It was about gerrymandering. Hi, my name is Bronwyn. I had a question about gerrymandering. I was wondering what the history of it was when the first gerrymandering started. Also, how are lawmakers allowed to get away with it when everybody knows that they do it? And how is it not illegal? Gerrymandering shapes our political maps, which, in turn, shape our policies. And so, I wanted to get her some answers. Bronwyn lives outside Charleston, South Carolina, and she's been interested in politics for a long time. I was raised in a very, very conservative household. I actually wanted to get involved in politics when I first went off to college. I interned with Strom Thurmond on Capitol Hill Strom Thurmond was a conservative senator from South Carolina. He spent his career railing against integration, despite the fact that he had a secret black daughter. In South Carolina, we have made great progress in helping the colored people. But we think it's unconstitutional for the Congress to attempt to pass such proposals as have been recommended by President Truman, such as the so-called anti-poll tax law, the anti-lynching law. Now, Bronwyn's politics aren't the same as they were when she was an intern. I didn't realize just how much privilege that I have and that there are these injustices going on. And we would hear people talk about it when I was younger, but I wasn't able to relate to it because I was just in this little bubble. Right now, I consider myself pro-choice. So that's changed. I basically switched parties. I went from Republican to Democrat. Bronwyn has the increasingly unique experience of sitting on both sides of the political aisle. And recently, she started worrying about the fighting between her old party and her new one. I became really concerned about it when I started seeing the polarization of the different parties in my state. 
She saw the polarization the same place a lot of us do, on her Facebook timeline. Dorchester County is where I live, and I'm a member of our Democrat Party. There was a post that we were actually trying to um, have a get-together one Saturday, and it was called Dance for Change, and the county was putting it on. And we actually had some ads going out on Facebook, and I was looking at some of the comments, and these people were commenting on it saying, like, we don't need you guys here in South Carolina. You need to go back where you came from. We don't want our state to end up like New York or California or one of those liberal states. Keep in mind, she's a native South Carolinian. There's no place for her to go back to. I just calmly went on there and I commented. I said, you know, hey, you know, I used to be a Republican and I finally switched over just give us a chance. You're always welcome to come to a meeting. And um, they just automatically like went on the attack. And I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have even tried. (laughs) And Bronwyn started to wonder if the way districts are drawn in South Carolina has made polarization worse. Could it be that gerrymandering has increased polarization in her state? That's the question she brought to us. And I knew exactly who to call to get her answers. My name is David Daly. I'm the author of Rat Fucked White can I say rat fucked? Yeah, we're Vox, right? We can say that, right? Yeah, right? Well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. That's David Daly. He's a journalist and author of a book with a not suitable for work title. It's called Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. And it looks at the history of gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is cheating, effectively. Gerrymandering is how you rig a political district so that your side has got the advantage in the next election, and in many subsequent. David says that even though you're noticing gerrymandering recently, it goes back, way back. It all started in 1812 with this politician named Eldridge Gary. He was vice president, but before that, he was the governor of Massachusetts. Gary's party, the Democratic-Republicans, they drew state Senate districts around Boston that were so crazy that they looked like a salamander trying to give their party an advantage, a political cartoonist saw this and put Gary's name and Salamander together, came up with the gerrymander. Why they call it gerrymander and not gerrymander, who can really say? But the practice has stuck around ever since. David told me there are two ways gerrymandering works. There's packing and there's cracking. When you are packing, The idea is that you take as many of the other side's voters and you cram them into as few districts as possible. They might win that district overwhelmingly, but as a result of their numbers, your party then wins all of the surrounding seats. And then there is cracking, in which you are effectively trying to dilute the other side's vote and to spread them across as many districts as possible so that they might never actually threaten to win a majority. David also explained how districts become the shapes they are, how they become salamanders in the first place. I assumed any funky-shaped district was the result of bad actors, but David said that that's not always the case. North Carolina did not elect a Black representative to Congress between 1900 and 1992. You have to go all the way to Congresswoman Clayton and Congressman Watt in the early 90s. And they effectively won their seats because of a provision that was added to the Voting Rights Act when it was reauthorized in 1982. 
That provision he's talking about is supposed to help people of color. It basically says that if a minority population is large enough to have representation, districts need to be drawn so that they can elect officials. So you get some pretty funky-looking districts in North Carolina in the 1990s. There was one district that effectively stretched along I-85, and there was a joke made that if you drove through that district with both car doors open, you'd be in a couple of different districts at at almost every moment. (laughs) According to David, the overall consensus is that this kind of redistricting sounds good in theory, but it doesn't always work out the way it was intended to. I think the important question now, you know, 30 years after that, is what percentage minority voters do you have to have in a district in order to create the opportunity for those voters to elect a member of their own choosing. And most of the political science now suggests that the number in states like North Carolina, maybe it's 37 or 38 percent. You know, it's not 50 plus one, and it's not what Republicans like to do when they're drawing maps in places like North Carolina and Michigan, which is pack districts above 75, 80 percent a minority of voters. In other words, a minority group doesn't need to be an overwhelming majority of a district to elect their candidate of choice. There's no reason to pack them all into one district. And none of this is happenstance. State legislatures look the ways they do on purpose. Up next, the strategy that got us here. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's the weeds. I'm John Clint Hill. Before the break, journalist and author David Daly was explaining how district lines can be drawn to favor one political party over another. It has a long history in politics, but things changed in the 2010s. Republicans had a strategy in the 2010 elections because they knew that redistricting was happening the following year. In many ways, this was their response to the election of Barack Obama and the assemblage of that kind of multiracial, multigenerational coalition that he was able to build. Republicans recognized that because 2010 was a midterm election with the Democrats in power, but it was also a census year. So we'd be drawing districts after that election. And so they focused on winning state legislatures in places like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, Florida, Wisconsin, Georgia, Indiana, states that in many cases had had Democratic legislatures in 2008. And they spent about $30 million down ballot on these races And they captured control of all of these swing states in 2010 and won all of them. And as a result, won the ability to remap all of those states. After the 2018 election, there were 59 million Americans who lived in a state in which one or both chambers of their state legislature was controlled by the party that won fewer votes. And all of those 59 million people lived in a state where Democrats won more votes, but Republicans won more seats. The groundwork for so much of our current political landscape was laid down over a decade ago. My favorite example of this also takes me back to North Carolina, where for the entire decade of the 2000s, there was a swing district, the 11th in the western part of the state. And the district comprised the sort of uh, hippie vegan uh, college town of Asheville with some of the more conservative Western mountain towns out there in that part of the state. Oh, wow. That's very different. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to Asheville. People sunbathe on the media. Asheville is a wonderful town. (laughs) Um, And when Republicans took over control of North Carolina's state legislature, they decided that they wanted to create a map, even in this purple state, that elected 10 Republicans and three Democrats. Mm. But to do that, they had to win all of these seats in the western part of the state. So they took Asheville and they cracked it. They drew a line through the middle of it and they attached half of those voters to one newly conservative district, half to another. Mm. The only key to winning an election there was to win the Republican Party primary. There was a man who had been a local real estate person who had run a local sandwich shop and he decided to jump into this race He got up at one town hall meeting and said, 2012 is the time that we're going to send Mr. Obama home to Kenya or wherever it is. We're going to do it. And that was the moment that Mark Meadows first achieved a real political power. Mark Meadows won that seat in 2012, held it until he went to become Donald Trump's chief of staff. Mark Meadows would not have been in office if not for... Republican gerrymandering. That brings us to Bronwyn's second question. She wants to know, how exactly is any of this legal? Bronwyn, I like you. (laughs) Um, That is a great question. It should not be legal. Courts have not always wanted to get involved in the process of saying 
this map is fair or this map is unfair because it would require picking a political winner or loser. And while it sounds a little bit silly saying that in this moment with this Supreme Court, (laughs) many judges over the years have not wanted to look as if they are ideologues on a bench picking a winner for one side or the other. In the 2019 opinion, Ferruccio v. Common Cause, SCOTUS decided federal courts can no longer get involved in partisan gerrymandering claims. They said it's a non-justiciable political issue and the federal courts aren't going to have anything to do with it. But partisan gerrymandering claims can certainly still be made in state courts. About half of the U.S. states have got something in their state constitution, a free and fair elections clause or something of the like, that provides the ability for activists and reformers to file uh, state claims. And uh, these have worked in Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Maryland and many states. They have found that state Supreme Courts have been really solid protectors of fair maps. Not everywhere. Uh, Certainly, you know, Texas, Florida, there's a lot of states where this road is not going to be possible. But in many places, it could well work. And that's just partisan gerrymandering. Certainly racial gerrymandering is a different piece of this. Racial gerrymandering remains unconstitutional at a federal level, although uh, certainly those protections have been being eaten away and slowly eroded by this court. And that could continue this summer when the Supreme Court rules in Merrill v. Milligan. Alabama's redistricting maps have one majority Black district via packing and cracking. Those who oppose the new maps argue that it's a violation of the Voting Rights Act. Alabama conducted its 2021 redistricting in a lawful, race-neutral manner. The state largely retained its existing districts and made changes needed to equalize population. But that wasn't good enough for the plaintiffs. They argued that Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act requires Alabama to replace its map with a racially gerrymandered plan maximizing the number of majority-minority districts. Before I let David go, I asked, what came first? The divisiveness or the gerrymandering? I think they're gasoline and fire. And when you add gasoline and fire to what is already a tinderbox of a nation, it can take off and explode in dangerous and unexpected directions. The landscape, it sounds like, is not good. It's just kind of all bad right now. (laughs) All dark and no stars. (laughs) Um, One... Are there any stars? And two, for someone like Bronwyn, who's seeing this division and says, you know, I want to do something about gerrymandering, what can a regular, everyday person do? Is there anything? Well, there's a regular, everyday person in the state of Michigan named Katie Fahey, who's 27 years old. Two days after the 2016 election, she posted on Facebook and said she wanted to do something about redistricting. And when she put this up on Facebook, it launched a redistricting revolution. She was able to collect tens of thousands of volunteers through this post. And together they started a group called Voters Not Politicians, and they launched a ballot initiative in the state of Michigan. And in 2018, they won a statewide race, 61% 39. And there was an independent citizen commission that drew the lines in Michigan earlier this year, and they're going to have fairer maps after a decade in which Republicans held control of the statehouse 
every single year, even though Democrats won more votes in every single election. So real people in states that have the ballot initiative really can make a difference. Okay, things are looking pretty bleak for fair voting districts. But like David said, there are stars in the darkness. After the break, we look up at the stars. I'm Jonquan Hill, and this is The Weeds. We're getting some answers for our friend Bronwyn about gerrymandering. Why it happens and how it happens. And, to be honest, in many ways, the outlook isn't that great. If things stay the way they are, gerrymandering isn't going anywhere. But for those who oppose it, there is some good news. Change can happen. I'm so sorry. There's, like, this lawnmower right in front of my parking window. This is Nancy Wang. She worked on Voters Not Politicians with Katie Fahey, the woman David told us about before the break. Today, Nancy is the organization's executive director. And just like you, she's a regular voter who sometimes has to deal with a lawnmower outside her window. My life is very different now than it was in 2016. <laughs> I am a lawyer by training, and uh, in November, I signed on to a Facebook group and... I was part of the grassroots campaign that collected signatures and got voters to adopt a constitutional amendment to take our politicians out of redistricting and put citizens in their place. Nancy was one of the thousands of Michiganders who organized against gerrymandering after the 2016 election. So Bronwyn and I called her up to find out how she got involved. I was never involved in any political campaign before. I had no experience whatsoever <laughs> with, you know, organizing and collecting signatures or running a grassroots organization. And yet we were able to put it together. You know, everyone just kind of figured it out because the issue was so important to us. Tell us about this ballot initiative. It started something called the Independent Citizens Commission, right? So an independent commission is basically the opposite of what we used to have, which was politicians in a dark room drawing maps, trying to maximize their political advantage. And the independent commission and the amendment that we passed is a commission that has 13 everyday Michiganders on it. There's a Democratic, Republican, and independent supporters. And they are there to oversee a process that is all built around citizen engagement. They have to describe, you know, these are our communities. And so these are, you know, this is where these district lines should be drawn. Bronwyn, what do you think of that? That's the way it should be. You would think that it would already be like that, but it's not. So, I, you know, that's awesome that y'all are able to implement that. Well, I think our story illustrates that there are things that people can do when we organize together. Um, the only way the only way we were able to be successful in Michigan was to tie, you know, this issue of gerrymandering um, to all of the different things that were wrong with Michigan politics um, for all voters, you know, Republicans, Democrats and independents. We wouldn't have been able to win um, without support across the political spectrum. So how many people did you have as a part of your team? Did you guys have, you know, different groups of people that worked on certain things? I guess I'm just asking a question more about like the organization and what that looked like. Well, we started with, 
I don't know, maybe 10 people on Facebook that, you know, had responded to um, a Facebook message. And then we grew that over emails and we had some phone calls. And eventually we grew this army of about at least 6,500 people who were the ones that actually, you know, brought our clipboards out and stood on, you know, corners and went to farmers markets and collected those 428,000 signatures. And then, of course, during the election, we got 61% of the vote, and that was two and a half million voters that had to vote for this reform. But again, it wasn't overnight. It really was every single town hall, like every single friend talking to another friend and recruiting them as a volunteer. And we had to build all of that momentum over time. There seems to be, at least from what I see looking at this, it seems like there's a barrier And that's the lawmakers themselves. You know, they draw the districts. They want jobs. They want to stay elected. They want to be able to push their agendas through. How can people work around that? The thing we hear a lot from courts and from the politicians themselves is, well, if the voters really don't like this, then they can vote, you know, these politicians out. Which is, of course, very circular and very frustrating because the whole thing about gerrymandering is you take away the power of people's vote. So, voters, not politicians, you know, we went and knocked on doors. Like it just takes people and volunteers to like actually do that. And we also held town halls, you know, at like libraries and, you know, any place that would give us space to talk to at least, you know, five people (laughs) or sometimes 300 people so that we could say, hey, this is what we're working on. How long did this process take? So when you first started to when you actually, you know, saw this legislation going through to protect um, voters? So we started our campaign in late 2016. Uh, We ran a grassroots campaign until uh, we were able to put this on the ballot in 2018, and then it passed. And then our commission met for the first time with the 2020 census data, and they just adopted final maps for our state at the end of 2021. So it does take a bit of time, but by changing the process, you change the process forever. And the thing about these things, too, is that you really need either legislation, like you have to get legislators to commit to changing the law, or you really need a constitutional amendment that's protected from politicians who will always want any way of getting an unfair advantage in their races. Nancy, Bronwyn has talked a lot about the polarization she's seen in politics lately, you know, school board meetings, very ugly social media posts. Have you all seen an effect on polarization and the kind of political discussions being had? Has putting citizens in charge of redistricting made, you know, people on various sides of the aisle work together? Yes, it has. So, you know, in Michigan, you know, it's not like we went from imperfect to perfect, right, because of of this reform. There's two kind of different worlds in which we're talking. One is kind of the online and what, you know, positions our politicians and candidates are taking that are becoming more and more um, extreme. But then there's also, you know, the conversations that we just had around the state around redistricting and communities. And that really was voters coming together and having different opinions, but talking in a way that Everyone was kind of listening to us, and then the commission had to make compromises, but they had to do that out in the open. So on the one hand, I think there is still extremism for sure um, in our state as well. But on the other hand, I think when it comes down to it, voters have so many values that they share. And if we're 
able to, you know, connect that to democracy, then that becomes a uniting issue. So, Bronwyn, how are you feeling now, now that you've talked with Nancy? Well, I mean, it reinforced what I kind of already knew about gerrymandering. Um, It's detrimental to all of us. It does give me hope that things can change. I just got to (laughs) say, I just got to say, I really had no experience whatsoever. None of us that were kind of in the original group, if you will, like had any experience whatsoever in communications or, you know, we didn't even know that we were supposed to do polling. You know, (laughs) we didn't know how to fundraise. Um, And then now we're the leading, it's a democracy rights, voting rights group, uh, grassroots group in our state. And we're continuing to fight to protect our elections and to protect our voting rights. And that gives me hope. And I hope gives everyone, you know, you and, and everyone else hope that that we can do this. Um, what do you think of, is this a kind of organizing that you could see yourself being a part of? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are involved in, you know, politics and that's something, you know, that they really feel is important. And, you know, and especially a lot of my friends do um, consider gerrymandering to be a, a real issue in our state. So I definitely feel like, you know, if if I wanted to, I could most likely get the support. Well, I'm so glad we got to connect the two of you. It sounds like, you know, you may be hearing from one another uh, in the near future. I hope so. I really hope so. I talked to Bronwyn, David, and Nancy last summer before the 2022 midterms. That was the first election since Michigan's new redistricting was implemented. It's also the first time Democrats have controlled the state legislature since 2011. Thank you to Bronwyn, Nancy Wang, and David Daly for joining us today. So I'm really glad we could get Bronwyn some answers. And we want to get you some answers, too. No question is too big or too small. If there's something you've been itching to ask about policy or how our political system works, let us know. Send us an email or a voice memo to weeds at vox.com. Our producer is Sophie Lalonde. Christian Ayala engineered this episode. Libby Nelson is our editorial advisor. Our editorial director is A.M. Hall. And a special thank you to Catherine Wells, Jillian Weinberger, Afim Shapiro, and Patrick Boyd for extra help with this week's episode. I'm your host, John Glenn Hill. The Weeds is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Gerrymandering, gerrymandering, gerrymandering. It's like Beetlejuice. (sighs) If you say it enough times, a, a, a crazy map pops out.